Welcome to Odds and Ends, a podcast that collects stories big and small from every corner of UT. I'm audio editor Sarah Schleed. This episode explores some of the ways life has changed due to the coronavirus outbreak. Our first story is from Will Brooks. Will spoke to an ER physician from his hometown about how he is keeping his patients and his family safe from COVID-19. COVID-19 changed the way UT students work, study, and spend their time. When UT President Greg Fenvis announced that the university would be going online, I packed my bags and flew back to Atlanta, Georgia, my home. Many students are bored, or if you're anything like me, living at their parents' house and probably going a little stir-crazy. But medical professionals on the front lines of the pandemic are experiencing a different reality. We've seen it come in for two months now, three months now. So um, it's not surprising to me, but it does make me nervous for myself and for the community and for my family. Murdad Edashami is an emergency room physician at several Atlanta area hospitals. When I called Murdad, he was working the night shift from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. The ER is a cross street of all the various socioeconomics in society, which is one reason why I love it, because it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor or if you're homeless or not homeless, it doesn't matter because biology is biology and it'll, it'll impact you. As an emergency room physician, Murdad treated plenty of ill and injured patients before COVID-19. The typical, the stereotypical, I should say, things that you would imagine with, a, with an ER, so either a heart issue or a gunshot wound, alcohol-related, drug-related, um, depending on where, what facility I'm at, it could be gang-related. Now, the hospitals he works at see a lower volume of patients due to statewide shelter-in-place ordinances. However, more and more visits are from people who fear they have the virus, According to U.S. News & World Report, Georgia has the 42nd lowest rate of testing per capita in the nation, at 7.6 tests per 1,000 people. The more acute stuff, the, the, the bad stuff, people will, will still come in, obviously, as they should. So lower volume, but higher acuity, I would say. And obviously a lot more shortness of breath and cough kind of related stuff because people are concerned and I've seen a lot of COVID. I've never felt anxiety, honestly, in my life. I'm a pretty laid back person, um, but this has changed my, uh, my mental health for sure. Even if a healthcare person is not saying that, they're like, oh, I'm feeling fine, you cannot go through this and, and expect to not be impacted in some form or fashion, you know? But COVID-19 worries don't stop when Murdad leaves the hospital. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention reported in mid-April that at least 9,200 cases of COVID-19 were found in healthcare personnel across the United States. My wife, Laura, is a PA, and um, so she obviously knows what's going on. 
Um, it's been really, um, it's been just weird. Uh, I mean, having a family, I have two kids, so one is four and a half, the other one's one. Having them has been truly a blessing, uh, but it makes me anxious because I don't know what I'm taking home. My one-year-old is a baby, so he's just like, la, 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 daddy's so cool. But my four-and-a-half-year-old, who's a girl, is incredibly intelligent and very observant, as children are. And we don't really take, like, I don't take work home in terms of conversations. Before COVID-19, I left work and I left it there. But now, because of how new this is and how little we know, I mean, my life, even when I'm at home, is all COVID-19. 22 million Americans have filed for unemployment since the national emergency began, and Congress is racing to pass a second stimulus check for small businesses. Murdad, a first-generation immigrant whose father was a farmer in Iran, understands their struggle. This is a very difficult conversation to have with people, probably because people look at me and they're like, you're just a fancy doctor. That's on the surface. That's totally surface level, right? But once you really get to know me, I know what it's like to live wondering where is my next meal going to come from. I would gladly all day, every day, take very little income but health over the certainty of having an income and being like, well, am I sick? Am I not sick? Am I going to give my mom a virus that will kill her? Am I going to give my diabetic neighbor a virus that's going to kill him? I don't know. I also hear the argument of, well, gosh, it's just like a flu. Or, well, what really is the percentage of people dying or having to be hospitalized? Well, I pose you this question. How would you feel if you were in that 1% of people that died? Go and talk to the family of my 40-year-old healthy woman who's on a ventilator on ECMO, at, and I don't know if she's going to make it. Economics is something that we can work around. Jobs are something that we can work around, even though it's not easy, not to make light of it by any means, but to understand that what are, what are the, what's the thing that I absolutely, there's an absolute here, and the absolute is I cannot bring you back from the dead. Despite the suffering that happens every day in the emergency room, Murdad is an optimist. I want to see where we have faltered and where we have neglected people and be better. We're very obviously seeing where our system has cracked. That's not just in the healthcare setting. That's in economy. That's in education. That's in leadership. That's in politics. I don't want to portray doom and gloom situation. I'm anxious, but I'm incredibly hopeful. I feel like with every war that we've dealt with and every bad thing that's happened, the Great Depression, the Spanish flu, uh, with the world wars, uh, Vietnam, all these things that have happened in this country, the period afterwards has been a almost renaissance period. So I'm really looking forward to that. I don't want to go back to what we were before. I don't. I want to be better. For The Daily Texan, I'm Will Brooks. Q.
quarantine has left many people stuck at home, working from their computers, talking to loved ones on the phone, and maybe even baking bread. It's making people a little restless. But how do children feel during all of this? Melissa Cortez Santiago interviewed her siblings to get the younger generation's perspective on social distancing. Do you know how long you've been home so far? Like three months, I think, or more than that. I think for 100 weeks or 20, no, 40 or 30 years, I think. After a month of social distancing, it's certainly beginning to feel like we've all been inside our homes for a trillion years. There's no denying that COVID-19 has impacted every aspect of our lives and left many of us feeling anxious and uncertain of what the months ahead will bring. If this is how we're feeling, one can only imagine the things going through the mind of someone who is half our age. Little kids whose entire routines are composed of attending school, going to the park and interacting with their friends must seriously be struggling during these times. Well, I sat down with my little sisters, all of who are in elementary in ages 10, 8, and 6, to find out how kids are coping. Usually we go to school every day and we stay home for like three or two days. So I think we've been here for like a lot because we, we, don't, we can't go to school. What's it been like being home all the time? Is there anything you like about being home? Not usually. I'm bored all the time. I just want to go to school and learn more. Well, I like being home because hmm, I don't know why I like being home. I kind of don't like it. Why not? Because I don't get to see my friends and it's boring. We can't play in the playground. We just have a trampoline. I just love being in the trampoline and playing with Leslie, Ashley, and Sarah. I like sleeping because like, we could like, sleep and relax and no one bothers us. Do you sleep a lot? Yeah, I'm a lazy person. It certainly seems like the feelings of boredom are very relatable throughout the different age groups. But while we can make use of social media and other communication tools to keep in touch with our friends and stay entertained, how is an eight-year-old supposed to talk to their friends, many of who they only see in school? You don't use like um, Snapchat or like TikTok. Do you talk to them through there? I don't talk to my best, best friend because she never answers. But every time, Chrissy sends me so many videos. Like, send this if you have a BFF and there's so many videos that are sad. And that makes me want to go to school because mm -hmm. I want to see my friends. Sometimes I talk to them in Roblox. What, what is that? Do you play that too? It's like you're like a cube like this and then you have cube arms. Something like that. Roblox is a game where it has like lots of games and like we could also make friends and like chat with friends that chat with your friends that you have in your inventory. But I miss my friends. I just text them. I want to talk to them like in real person. Some of my friends do not have Roblox. Some of them do. But I never talk to them in Roblox because they don't know how to text. Similar to many of us, they voice their concern about the amount of uncertainty during this time and just want things to return to normal. 
When the miss was talking about this virus, I was like, what's going on? Like, I don't even know what's going on. I didn't know that the virus was coming. Like, it was so weird. However, in the meantime, they're doing their best to do their part by staying inside and washing their hands. It's not safe to be out there because of the coronavirus is spreading everywhere. Stay home! Are you kidding me? The coronavirus is here! You need to wash your hands because there's germs in your hands and they're super duper tiny and you can't see them. So it doesn't mean that you don't have germs. It means that you do have germs, but they're tiny. Little tiny, tiny. For The Daily Texan, I'm Melissa Cortez Santiago. Once classes moved online and university dorms closed for the semester, UT students flocked home. For some, that meant their apartment in West Campus, or maybe their parents' house six hours away. For international students, traveling home during a pandemic is much more complicated. Chloe Young has the story. Home to the largest number of university students across the globe, over 20 million American college students have been forced to endure one of life's most stressful transitions during COVID-19, a sudden and unprecedented change in residency. Luckily, I only had to relocate three hours away from Austin, so I couldn't help but wonder what it was like for UT's 6,000 international students who have had to navigate these life-altering decisions and quickly adapt to their new reality in both Austin and abroad. Bit of emotional rollercoaster, I think, actually. I was in quite a bit of a denial for the first like three-ish days I think. Junior chemistry major Frankie Patel was originally hesitant to return home to the UK. Upon receiving the advice of her home university along with the encouragement of her parents, Frankie says that while leaving Austin was a hard decision to make, at the time it was a no-brainer. It just felt like I'm leaving so many good things behind and it was rough. But at the same time, it kind of, I didn't really get to process it because of everything that was going on. And I had to just get on with the moving process. Like thousands of other international students now relocated across the globe, Frankie is in the process of figuring out what it looks like to be a UT Austin student residing in the English countryside. I'm obviously six hours ahead now, so all my early classes are like six hours later. And it can also mean that I'm working late into the night, which is kind of not ideal, but I'm finding it okay, I think. It's just, it's very hard to focus right now, and that's obviously going to impact our grades. But Frankie isn't the only UT student concerned about what moving to a different country could mean for her success. Senior biology major Danny Vila says that while she feels more comfortable being with her family in Mexico, as far as her studies go, the situation has proved less than ideal. So I have two siblings and then my parents and my dog at home. And I share a room with my sister, so it's kind of hard, like, taking all my classes and finding a quiet space. And also, Wi-Fi speeds aren't as fast as they are in the United States. Besides having a better suited space for studying, Danny feels that she might actually be safer in Austin, despite there being far fewer cases in Monterey, Mexico. And when I'm at home, my parents like going grocery shopping. My sister likes getting Starbucks almost every day. And so, like... 
you know, they're still following the quarantine stuff, but they still like going out for things. And while I'm at my apartment, it's literally just me and my roommate and I don't leave my apartment. That same apartment in Austin that Danny now hopes to soon return to, however, at one point held the potential of being the ultimate COVID-19 danger zone. Right as she began to pack up her things and travel home for spring break, Danny's roommate revealed a startling piece of information. She had just been tested for COVID-19 and was awaiting her results. Weary of putting her family in Mexico at risk, Danny decided to wait out the three to four business days that it would take for those results to come back. But three to four days eventually turned into two weeks. And for Danny, the uncertain nature of her roommate's impending illness became too much to cope. I actually called the ambulance at some point because I had an anxiety attack, which I didn't know what anxiety attacks felt like. I do now. But yeah, so I called the ambulance and they were like, yeah, I think you just need to calm down. Like you're freaking out a little bit. Fearful for their daughter's safety, Danny's parents urged her to come home despite not knowing the outcome of her roommate's test results. Immediately upon her arrival, Danny's parents brought her to the nearest hospital in their hometown of Monterey. Being tested for COVID-19 was an unnerving experience that Danny says she's likely to never forget. I could tell it was a student that was going to, um, an intern or something that was going to test me because her hands were like shaking the entire time. And then also since the glass around me was like windows, I could see all the other students looking in and they were like taking pictures of me. And then when she got out into the little tunnel where she takes her suit out, they were taking selfies of her. And like, I could tell that I was the first person to be tested at that hospital. Fortunately, Danny only had to be quarantined in her room for four days until both her and her roommate's results finally came back on April 2nd. Both had tested negative. I was like, happy birthday to me. (laughs) I got the results on my birthday. (laughs) While students like Frankie and Danny took the university's advice and decided to return home, many international students in Austin decided it was best to stay put. For students like senior physics major Irene Ramo from Spain, traveling across the world during a global pandemic was ultimately not worth the risk. My grandfather lives with us in, in our house, and he's like 83, 80 years old. And my father would have to ask for a special permit to go get me at Madrid, and like we'll have to quarantine ourselves. I don't need to go back home because I can survive in here, like survive. I have meals, I have my online classes, I have a place to stay until May. Although Irene says there's been little consensus between the Spanish government, her home university, and even global institutions like airports, she appreciates how Texas Global has gone about keeping their international students up to date the best way they know how. They've been pretty clear, not only telling us what to do, but like telling us what were our options and what was on the table so we could act, like act on it. Kasia Switch, a business and law junior from Poland, took a more logistical approach in her decision to stay. I did like a very simple math calculation because I thought, okay, like the area of Texas is twice and a half the area of Poland itself. And the population of Texas is smaller than the population of Poland. So like if you do the like simple calculation, you see that there is many more people Pair, I know, square meter, square kilometer in Poland than here. So technically, if the virus spreads from person to person, it's statistically easier to get it there than here, right? Like Irene, Kasia says the 10-hour flight to Poland was what led her to stay. 
So I was like, okay, I don't want to risk it. I don't want to like risk being stuck with someone potentially sick for like during a 10 hour flight. And most importantly, I don't want to go back home and like be with my family and like potentially pass the virus onto them. While her exchange year will end in May, Kazia is hoping she can prolong her residence with an internship in Austin this summer. I like Austin so much. Like I just feel like I'm home here. Whether across the globe or in UT's own backyard, if this pandemic has proved anything about UT Longhorns, it's that we all carry Austin, 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 Austin with us in our hearts, no matter where we are, what we're experiencing, or how far apart. For The Daily Texan, I'm Chloe Young. That's all for this episode of Odds and Ends. This episode was made with the help of audio producers Aurora Berry, Harper Carlton, and Divya Jagadish. If you want to hear more from The Daily Texan, subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Make sure to also follow us on Twitter at Texan Audio so you can stay up to date there, too. I'm audio editor Sarah Schleed. Thanks for listening, and stay safe.